0: Do your name, Father, that the nations would worship you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, please be seated. And as you're seated, turn in your copy of God's Word to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles available in the foyer. And you can grab one now. We're going to look at a number of passages, somewhat of a topical jump through um, through the Bible as we look at devotion to God today. Um, Romans 12 is kind of our lead-off verse, though, and um, and you'll want to follow along inside of your own copy of God's Word. I was uh, really moved to just look at devotion to God as I was reading, um, as I was studying for my sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I read the book by Jerry Bridges called The Fruitful Life, and in it, he had this one little illustration of what devotion to God looked like, and, and it was really moving to me. It was really helpful, and to the point that I said, you know what, I'd really like just to share this on a Sunday morning as sort of a conclusion to our sermon series through the fruit of the Spirit. Next, next week, we're going to start Matthew. And the coming of the kingdom, as we see the birth and the early ministry of Jesus going Matthew 1 through 7, which will take us through, the, which will take us through spring. But today, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 and focusing on verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is... Your spiritual worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. There's a lot in that one verse. It calls us to a lot, it calls us to a great kind of life, and it is challenging. And so, Father, as we look to that verse, and as we look towards considering it in light of our whole life, Father, would you help us to, would you help us by examining us? Would you help us by searching us? Would you help us by leading us God, we know you send your Holy Spirit upon us in the preaching and the hearing of God's word and the gathering of the saints together. And so we pray that you would do that. We are dependent on you to see growth. We're dependent on you to bring forth truth to bear upon our lives. And so we ask you for your help in doing those things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, football season is upon us. Some of you watched your first uh, game maybe yesterday if you're college fans. Um, and football, though, isn't just about what happens on the field anymore, right? I mean, a lot of it's what happens among the fans of those who are watching them. And so it's it's not just what happens on the field, it's you. Uh, keeping up with the 24 hour news headlines which happen to be constantly on telling us about them. Um, It's about you and others joining tailgates or some people putting paint on their faces when they go to the games. Um, It's those acting like a fool at times just in love of their team. I I grew up in Denver and one of my iconic football images as a Denver Bronco fan was, was Barrel Man. And barrel man, just all he wore to the games was a, was a blue and orange barrel around him, carried by suspenders. So, you know, I know that people do things uh, because they love their teams. There's a devotion that's a part of being a fan that would make us do some of the things that we do. Well, today we're gonna talk about devotion. We're talking about devotion, but a greater devotion is a devotion to God. Um, Devotion to God is more than devotion of a fan. It's a greater call. There's a little quote by uh, Kyle Eidelman in your bulletin if you want to look at that. Um, Because our devotion to God needs to be greater than that. It describes the, the offering of our whole self to God. That's what devotion is, the offering of our whole selves to God. That's what we see described in Romans 12, 1, isn't it? When it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word here, present, in the ESV, some translations render it as the word offer, as an offering to God, a sacrifice that is made to God. It describes as one author says, something available to someone else Without necessarily involving the actual change of ownership to make available, to provide, to present to. So, the idea that's here is that God is not a puppet master, but we offer ourselves to God and we say, Lord, here's my body, use it as you would. As people have often pointed out with a living sacrifice, is that living sacrifices can get off the altar as they would. And the calling for our Christian life is to stay on there to keep ourselves offered ultimately to the Lord as a perpetual offering that God would use us for his honor and glory. And this is a life of devotion, a devotedness to God to say, Lord, use me for what you will. Draw me near to you. Help me to live for your glory. A devotion, devotion to people, devotion to things causes us to do things for them um, out of just sheer love. Devoted parents, uh, they love their children and they're willing to make all kinds of sacrifices to, for their children, with, sometimes without even the feeling that it is a sacrifice. Devoted wives serve their husbands uh, and devoted husbands serve their wives. Again, it's a reflection of the love that they have, a re- reflection of that devotion. What would I do um, but out of this love for, for you? In the Old Testament, King David speaks about his devotion in First Chronicles 29.3, and he talks about an offering that he made in building the temple. He says in verse 3, Moreover, in addition to all that I provided for the holy house, he's saying he's provided a lot of material goods for it out of the resources Israel had, he wanted to build this temple, and he said, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. His devotion overflowed into the giving of his financial resources. Because when, again, devotion is its strongest, it doesn't feel difficult to do things like this. It's impulsive. David couldn't help but give. Devotion is something that we can also lose. As our attention is distracted, Or we trade one love for another, we lose that devotion. God speaks about the change in devotion of his own people and the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. He talks about times that they loved that that they He talks about times they loved them, but that disappeared over time. One example of it is in Jeremiah two. Jeremiah two two, God speaks to them. He says, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love is a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. But if we're to follow through his argument, then over the next few verses until we get to verse 13, we see that things have changed. There was a devotion in youth, but one that disappeared as they grew. Verse 13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And what happens is their devotion to God disappears, their difficulties grow. They come under the displeasure and the discipline of God. They suffered through their trials. They suffered the consequences of bad decisions and the opposition of the Lord. Maybe we have that too, maybe we've experienced that. Maybe you've seen it with others, maybe a person who's been very involved so someone does everything for God and they go on mission trips, they sing in the choir, they know the Bible, but over time their commitment changes and it, it usually starts secretly as they stop praying, get busy with other things. The heart goes away from the Lord, become distracted, maybe bitter or angry about something. You notice they start making small compromises they never would have done before and eventually they check out of church and the faith. And like ancient Israel, they've forsaken God The fountain of living waters, hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Step by step, abandoning the Lord, that that one way of salvation that he's provided, leaving them with no assurance of salvation, no confidence they're saved in Christ without any devotion to him. This, of course, can happen to any one of us. There's the hymn we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love which is why the Bible tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why it says to make our calling and our election sure. It's because only in devotion do we find the purpose, connection, and love that we're created to enjoy. Only in devotion do we find the energy of a life of obedience and faith. Devotion keeps us on track. Devotion entails our commitments to something. We need this genuine God-focused devotion, and how does that grow in our lives? And so as I mentioned earlier, Jerry Bridges wrote this book, uh, The Fruitful Life. I've used it to uh, prepare my sermons uh, through this time, and he did have one chapter on the devotion of God, and he drew this illustration, which I thought was really helpful, and it was a, of a triangle, and he said, this triangle represents devotion to God, and, and it has three corners. Um, in that triangle. And those three triangles are listed in your bulletin as the fear of God, the love of God, and the desire of God. And, and as those three are present and growing in our lives, th- those are the things that together, we need all three of them to fuel devotion. I, I'd like to think of it like a, like a stool. You know, you can't really have a one-legged stool. If you have a one-legged stool and try to sit on it, you know, either you're gonna have really good balance or you're gonna fall over and you need your legs so you're not sitting on it without um, some, some sort of support. Even a two-legged stool is not gonna hold you up. But you need three in order to sit on that stool. Four legs is a bonus, but you don't need four. You do need three in order to have a stable stool. And in this way, devotion to God is something that grows on these three legs. This was required for stability. And so that's what I wanted to to spend time this morning, just reflecting on and being challenged with, as as I've really been challenged to think through it for my own life, and my own family. Um, The first thing we want to look at is the fear of God. And we see this in Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28, where Jesus speaks explicitly about fear. We don't like to think about fear very much, We might think the message of the Bible is just simply taking away our fear of God, but that's not exactly the case. And we can see one example here in Matthew 10.38, where there's an explicit instruction to fear God. Look at 10.38, it says, 10.28. It doesn't say that. 1028, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's obviously a comparison this here. There's a fear of man that we can have, which leads us to disobedience. And then there's a a fear of God, which leads us to obedience. And there's a fear of man, which leads to uh, constraint, it leads to a sort of slavery, and there's a there's a fear of God which ultimately leads to freedom and freedom to do and to be who God created us to be and to do. Jesus is saying here that the fear of God is a path to freedom. It's a freedom from the other fears in life. Now what does it mean to fear God? We're going to see in a minute that that there is no fear of punishment that comes from God. That's It's not a cowering fear. It's not an anxious fear, an anxious dread before God. No, the fear that we're called to is a reverential awe of God. The awe of God as Father. The awe of God who would discipline us. And the, the fear of coming under his discipline um, as, as as our father. It's the, the kind of respect a child would have for that father. Not wanting to displease him. Dreads the thought of being under that displeasure or discipline. The kind of fear that does whatever it takes you know, to be close to him. You know, to want to be turned away from him. The fear of God focuses on God's glory. It focuses on the majesty of God, on his holiness. It recognizes who he is. His nature and holiness his nature and glory, his nature and majesty. Sometimes I talk with my care group about the use of the word awesome, right? I mean, sometimes, especially when we're young, we like to talk about awesomeness and awesome that. He's such an awesome guy, and this is an awesome experience. Everybody in Kings Dominion, it's so awesome. And, and, and you know, we, we can use it and express it in that way. But if you really think about what the word means, just for a minute, I mean, it, it's talking about being in awe, in awe, a jaw-dropping awe before God just Stunning, startling, causing us to pause. You know, only, really, God is only awesome in this world. Only God creates that sort of awe in sort of our life that engenders a righteous and a good fear. Now, we shouldn't think that fear is just for the people of the Old Testament. In fact, if you look at passage like Jeremiah 32 4, we see that there's a fear that is part of the new promises, that the new covenant promises of God. And that, that God says that, you know, in giving this new covenant in Jesus Christ, there is a respect and awe which he's going to put inside of our hearts and lives, which will uh, preserve us and keep us dear to him. Verse Jeremiah thirty two forty, God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. We see persevering grace that takes God seriously. Now, 1 John four eighteen reminds us that we have been saved from a fear of punishment. We've been saved away from a cowering fear of this anxious dread. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so once a person knows the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, that fear of punishment is gone. We know that it has been taken off of us and it has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that doesn't leave us away from the, the, the fear of God's discipline. As a loving father would, would discipline uh, his children, the Bible reminds us, Hebrews chapter 12, there's still a fear of, of respect, of obedience. You know, there's an obedience that we're called to in the fear of God, and a failure to obey God's uh, commands treats them as light things, as not heavy things, and, and, as Him is not serious. Disobedience is not fear judgment or discipline or or consequences. It it treats God as if he doesn't exist. Obedience, though, instead is a proper response to God. We do certain things simply because he commands us to do them. We may not feel like it at the time, but we know that there is a God. And we know that we can come under his fatherly displeasure. We can come under discipline. And there's concern and fear not doing that. We grow in reverence of awe by rejecting flippancy, hating sin, and disobedience. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling, growing in awareness of his character, growing in awareness of his perfections, resonating with his hatred of sin. We see how evil and wicked it is, and that's rebellion against God, remembering he's always present, This is one of the things our culture has lost, one of the things that so many churches have lost. Churches changing God's word to make it more accommodating, excusing certain sins because they're afraid of what people or the culture is going to say or think, adding commands in the Bible, making worship more about entertainment than asking what God would want and turning away from his seriousness and the fear of God standing before us, making the Christian faith more about self-fulfillment, than having eternal life, having forgiveness of God and life with him. That's not just churches who do it, we're tempted to do it. But the fear of God takes his word seriously, not adding to it, not adjusting it not for our own benefit, but living it out faithfully by his spirit. And so I'd ask you, do you fear, do you have a fear for God? Do you take his word seriously? Do you obey or do you cut corners? is there a commandment that you treat lightly? Are you proud or angry? Do you add rules to God's word for your own benefit? We need a fear of God that humbles us and it leads us to obedience. So that's the first one, the fear of God. The second one is the love of God. And if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, look at verse 35 through 37, because there is a love that we are called to Toward God. In this passage, which you're probably familiar with, uh, Jesus is answering a question, really a test. Verse 35, we see one of the Pharisees, one of the lawyers, ask Jesus a question to test him. He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great. And First Commandment. Here we see the instruction quoted out of the New Testament of a love for God. The Greek word there is the word agape. That's the word for love. It speaks for an unconditional love that seeks the good of another person. It seeks the joy of another person. And in this case, there is the unconditioned desire to see God glorified. There's nothing greater to God than to see his name glorified glorified. And there's no other greater way we love others than to see them glory in his name and revel in his grace. So while the fear of God, it calls us to obedience, yes, but so does the love of God. In fact, that's what Jesus says. If you turn over to John fourteen twenty one, he he speaks about a love that compels us to obedience. I mean, the fear of God tells us that we must obey, right? But the love of God tells me I want to obey. And if you, if you love God, you will obey him. And to love God, you, you must obey him. Look at John fourteen twenty one. It says, whoever has, Jesus speaking, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We love God in obedience to his commands. Now, where does this love come from? 1 John 4, 19 says it clearly. We love because he first loved us, right? Just like our fear of God grows out of his majesty and of his holiness, so our love of God grows out of our awareness of his love. That's the ground for our own love. In fact, if you were to look up in the Bible and compare how many times the Bible says we need to love God versus how many times he loves us, you know, it's overwhelming in saying how much he loves us. Right, it just says it over and over and repeats and repeats it because as we see there in, in the gospel, in, in 1 John four nineteen, it's understanding this love that compels us of a love towards him. Our love is responsive to his love. He forgave us our sins, he's granted us eternal life, He's brought us into his family. He's, he's made us heirs. He's given us a people. You know, that's, that's the love that he's shown uh, for us. And now that we're reconciled to him and we have all these things, we want him to be exalted. That's our love. What grace has shown. And that's something that we have through faith in Jesus. It's not just that God loves the world. He does but that God loves you, and we have to recognize that this is something that God gives to us personally, that the love is directed towards us as, as individuals. The Apostle Paul points it out in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, see this, who loved me and gave himself for me. He personalizes it, right, the love was given for him. In the past, we've heard it said, if you take John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? We can take out the world there and, and just put your name in it. For God so loved Benjamin. For God so loved Jacob. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. So as you believe in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the important question for you today is this, is do you know the love of God personally? Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him for his forgiveness, his life, his salvation? Without that, it's impossible to love him. The great reformer, Martin Luther, once said, he said, love God, is a question, love God, sometimes I hate him. And why did he say that? He said that it's because he knew Christ in in his grace. All he knew was the rules of God. He knew the law of God. He saw where he failed, all those things. And because of that, there was just a resentment that grew towards the laws of God. But once he understand the gospel of grace and of God's love for him, he learned and developed a love for God. You can't love someone that you're separated from, distant from, enemies with. Faith in Jesus brings you close to God. So devotion then, it grows out of love. Do you love God? Are you amazed at his forgiveness of your sins? Are you blown away by the fact he would bring you into his family and give you eternal life and inheritance that you didn't deserve, that you didn't earn, that you have a place in heaven forever and ever in glory, that he's provided for you day in and day out, giving you life. Be amazed. Love. We want to see him Glorified, His name lifted up. We want to see His joy made full in the proclamation of the gospel and the saving of the nations. That is, that is our love of God, that he be displayed as glorious in our lives, in our church, in our nation, around the world. We want, we want to know His glory and make that known. That is the love of God. All right, let's look at the third quality. And I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 3. I have uh, verses that aren't on the screen, if you wanna turn over there. I'm gonna start Philippians three, starting verse seven. Starting verse seven. It's because devotion to God is not complete without desire. I mean, it is one thing to fear him. It's another thing to love him. But that third leg of the stool, and this is important, is a desire for God. So we can look how the Apostle Paul wrote about it in Philippians three starting in verse seven and background of the verse. Uh, verses one through six are a bit of a resume for him. It talks about all of his accomplishments, all the things that he did, all the things which make him an exceptional Jewish man. Right, what is it that makes? He said, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, indeed I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Can you see desire in that? For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish, dung, junk. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. There is desire which is a spread all through that passage. Verse 10, if you, read the, if you have the NIV, you'll see, I want to know Christ. That's his heart. I want to know Christ. And the power of his Resurrection. Genuine desire is not satisfied with human accomplishment or success to the neglect of God. It is not happy with adherence to religious rules without experiencing the fullness of God. Genuine desire is not satisfied with God being distant or a cold relationship with him. It is not satisfied with a present experience of God. Wants more of what he infinitely offered, genuine desire wants more grace. More grace to meet the needs of love around us. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He wants to know the power of Christ. So much he's even willing to enter suffering so that he might enter in and and, and know that power for himself. Just as Jesus died and was raised again, the Apostle Paul is willing to suffer in loving service to the body of Christ in order that he would know and experience that resurrection power in his life. And you, as you love others, as you uh, set aside your own interests, as you make those sacrificial decisions to love, you know, will it feel like a death and suffering and and difficulty? Yes, but there's a power that comes as a result of that and Paul wanted to know that. Do you want to know that? I mean, that's something that will drive us to greater love of others. We've spoken about the obedience that comes to the fear of God. we have talked about the obedience that comes in the love of God, but what about the obedience that grows out of desire of God? The obedience, that grows because we want to know his power. We want to know his glory in our lives. We want that, that grace that he provides. The desire for God comes from knowing that our greatest desires are met and satisfied in him. As the psalmist said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The greatest desire of every believer is to be with God. When Jesus stands at the door and knocks, we run over there, we open that door. That's what the Church of Christ does. It's when the believer regularly prays, come Lord Jesus, and confesses they'd rather be absent with the body than present with the Lord. That desire grows by faith when we realize the joy that we have in this life is eclipsed by the fulfillment of God in glory. The realization that while we enjoy many things in this life, it's also a life of suffering and trials, but Jesus makes all things new for us. It comes when we realize that Jesus is more sure, more secure, more wonderful than anything this world has to offer us. And this is a lot of the warmth of the Christian life. It's the warmth, that, that, that desire for him. Do you desire God? Do you want to know his power? May the Lord grow us in that desire. So those are our three legs of our stool, the fear of God, the love of God, the desire of God. You know, these three are things that fuel our devotion. We might consider these three, are there ones that we're stronger in and, and um, maybe one that we're totally neglecting in our lives? Maybe ones that we're um, weaker in, um, that we, we need to shore up. I want to briefly talk about this as we think about our own witness to, uh, witness to others, because I think this is also important as we think about that. I'm going to specifically talk about the family, and, you know, as you think through your own children, your covenant children, raising them in the Lord, but I think it could also apply in our own witness, in our work, and our marketplace, and other places, but I'm going to specifically apply it to our family, especially it's Discipleship Sunday, as we think through our Sunday school classes and what we communicate there. But in the same way that we need this for devotion to ourselves is, you know, is that we show what devotion to God looks like and what's going to be part of our, our discipleship plan and our education plan as we think through our families together. There's the fear of God. You know, do we as a family take God's word seriously? Do we take this as absolutes or simple, simply as personal preferences? Are the optional ideas for living? You know, and so you think about parents, and, and as, as parents, we want to instill a certain, uh, you know, respect of God, a of, of, of fear of him. That, one sec. Oh. Um, you know, a, a recognition that he is God, and we are called to live in obedience to him. I mean, the world will say that the Christian faith is just one option among many. If it's helpful for you to realize the, the potential within you, well, then that's good, um, but it's not necessary. That's not what the Christian faith says. I mean, Jesus said he's the only way to God. We're going to communicate that inside of our families. It's the only way our children can be saved is through faith in him. I mean, there is a fight against sin, and and sin just stands at the door ready to destroy. And so is there a sense what we do in our families that we do out of obedience to God? Have you ever stopped doing something, even as a family, just out of obedience to God's word because you saw that it was contrary Have you ever had to tell your kids no because you believed it was a sin against God? Whether it's to deal with worship, or the way your family organizes, the spending of your time? Do you honor God's word by reading the Bible in your home with your kids and your spouse? Realizing and demonstrating that you, your family too is a family which is under God's authority. And you can do all those outward things, but not fear God yourself. Are you angry, bitter, complaining? so you'll act like you don't fear God. So let's help them to know God's love, the good news of the gospel, and call them to faith. That's what we're called to in this fear. The second thing we want to talk about is the love of God in our families. Do you talk about the love of God that he's poured out into this world? And the fear of God is not enough. It could lead to a very lopsided view of the faith. If that's the only thing that we're sharing inside of our homes, then that we're missing out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Leads to legalism, leads to just a bunch bunch of rules. One person said that relationship without rules leads to rebellion, and often that it does. Forgetting the love of God makes um, obedience to God look very undesirable. Without the love of God, all we hear is failure. With the gospel, we hear God's love. We hear his acceptance. We see that we belong, that we have a place, inside of God's family, and we're called to walk in that. Our lives become one of gratitude because he's done so much. The third leg of the stool was desire for God. So inside of our homes, do we act like our best life is found in Jesus? It's not enough just to fear God or to love him, but to really, we want to really affirm that our greatest joy is found in God. Many people are very religious, but almost like they have to do a bunch of things in order to get the life that they really want. But that's not the Christian life. I mean, God is what we really want. Maybe people want money or approval, power, success, pleasure, an easy life. And that shows up in the things we talk about. And talk about over talking about God and his grace and our desire to glorify and honor him and to be with him forever. Kids may come up to believe that faith won't really lead them to a happy and satisfied life. This really shows up in the way that we complain. Do we complain about the Christian life? Do we complain about church? You know, as a parent, sometimes I think, I wish my children would listen to me more. One thing we've realized over time is that there's one thing your children will really listen to you about. They'll really listen to your complaints and they'll really believe them as being genuine and true. Complain about the Lord, complain about the church, they will really believe that they really are terrible things. They really think they don't need faith as part of their lives. You know, so, so we have this, this, this picture, this, this devotional life that we wanna show, you know, that, that you know, God is majestic, that God is love and to be loved, and that there is great satisfaction that's made in Christ. We want to show it in our families. We want to know it for our lives. There's one more thing that I want to reflect on briefly. It's just how these attitudes grow. Because you realize that any of these things, we don't grow in them by just working harder at them, right? We grow in them by learning more about God. We grow in them by hearing the gospel. We grow in them by the meditation of faith. We grow in them even by the Lord's Supper, right? It's a reminder to us that salvation is by faith and not by works. And devotion grows from a heart that is renewed by God's grace. It comes by seeing his majesty. It comes by hearing the gospel. It comes in, in recognizing the fullness of God and his wonder to see that he truly is awesome. It comes from a heart that wants to please God and know that he alone can satisfy. And it shows what we do here is important, right? As we gather together, but what happens? Our hearts, our minds, our imaginations. They're renewed in, the, in who God is and what he's done. Remember his majesty, that he's greater than us. Remember the love that he's shown to us in Christ. And so this is Discipleship Sunday. It shows us, as we reflect on this, one of the biggest things we do here is to help one another see God's glory rightly. To learn the gospel and his love. I mean, that's why we get involved with care groups. Why why we want our children to see the glory and the wonder of God. Um, it's why we get involved with one another's lives. in you know, one-to-one relationships in small groups. We want to help each other see these things. And we want to see them for ourselves. We know we need one another in order to see them better. So we'll keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We'll keep our eyes worshiping him. Keep praying. Keep repenting. Keep confessing that only God would expand our minds our hearts around that gospel, around his glory. And the most important thing to remember in all this is that only one person was truly devoted to God, and that was Jesus. We see our failures. We see where we fall short. But he held all these attitudes towards God as Father. Fear of love, desire, and all those things led to his life of perfect obedience. Even the cross... And it's in that perfect life that we find our life. It's in that perfect life that we find our devotion. He is the Savior that we need. Fulfilled every requirement that we have. and gives us every reason to fear, love, and desire God. He shows us devotion leads to resurrection and eternal life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know our hearts. We know how our hearts are prone to wander. Father, we know our lack of energy and hearts. And we want hearts full of devotion. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to fear you rightly. We pray you would help us to know your love. You would help us to grow in love. We pray you would remind us that we'll only be satisfied in you. And, Father, as we grow in devotion, may the gospel, that true gospel, shine brightly to the people around us, especially in our homes, especially in our covenant children, in our in the workplace in our community, and and God would devotion to Christ show itself in your church. Father, we want to see your glory spread to the saving of the nations. We pray all this